1: as they debate the merits of the great american radio show that have been missing for far too long on that night an idea was born that idea became the
0: fdh lounge
2: welcome to the fdh lounge
0: hello everyone welcome to fdh lounge mini episode 1439 this is fdh managing partner rick morris here And uh, we have with us two folks from the Callous Remarks podcast here today to help break down a retrospective on the career of Tom Brady. And uh, we didn't really know until a couple hours before showtime, quite frankly, if we were going to be covering an actual retirement uh, because uh, he was playing coy the last couple of days. And there was plenty of speculation that uh, once the news leaked out that maybe just despite the whole world, he might come back for another season, but uh, in the end cooler heads prevailed, uh, he is riding off into the sunset of retirement, and so uh, the two gentlemen we have with us today, one, a very familiar face on the program, longtime FDH Lounge dignitary, our friend Steve Callis, who is a co-host of the Callis Remarks podcast, and uh, we generally reference that in regards to him and also Joe Stazak. but uh, there is another co-host who occasionally appears on the show, and that would be Uh, Johnny Callis, yes, uh, some relation to Steve. And uh, so uh, first uh, I will welcome in uh, this gentleman, and it is great to have you on the show for the first time here, Johnny, and I know that uh, you bring a lot of uh, special thoughts on the subject of one Thomas Brady. Absolutely, Rick. Good to be with you guys.
1: I'm looking forward to uh, talking about Tom's pretty incredible career, so at least.
0: Yes, it was. It definitely was, and uh, certainly... Uh, his name has come up an awful lot in conversations that we have had over a period of time with your dad, with all of the NFL conversations that we've had over a period of time. Of course, Tom Brady has been first and foremost from the 20, uh, the 2000s into the 2010s, now the early part of the 2020s, and uh, through it all, Steve Callis, you and I have been talking about this man's career, and it's going to feel uh, odd not to be doing so. We're uh, pretty much uh, after this show here today. Yeah, when you take a step back
2: and look at everything he's accomplished, it's almost like video game stuff. It's almost unbelievable. If someone told you this, not just sixth round, 199 pick. If someone told you anybody could do this, I don't think he would have believed it. Johnny can talk more about it than me, but I don't know if he had two Hall of Fame careers or three Hall of Fame careers, but certainly by far the greatest quarterback ever, and uh, I must admit now probably the greatest football player
0: who ever lived. Very possibly, yes. Uh, that is, And, and I was kind of slow to kind of come on board that whole thing. Uh, I'm one of these people doesn't like to be prisoner of the moment. But yeah, when he started racking up Super Bowl wins again in the late 2010s, I, I think at that point in time it really became clear that uh, he had separated himself historically. Uh, we'll we'll kind of take an overview uh, of uh, the man's career uh, going through this here and getting you guys' thoughts on it. Uh, it is... Uh, somewhat amusing to me, and I'll start with you on this one, uh, Steve, that uh, in in looking at his college career, and that was one where, uh, again, uh, he did a decent job at uh, Michigan, but uh, not a great job, uh, you know, to to where he would be going in higher than the sixth round in the draft, which, by the way, to this day has polluted NFL draft talk permanently. Well, we can find a quarterback in the sixth (laughs) round like the Patriots did with Tom Brady. It's just led to the worst kind of know nothingism in terms of what people think they're going to get in there. As I believe, uh, looking back, I think my beloved Cleveland Browns, I believe, passed on him to take the legendary Spurgeon win. So there's that. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Dwight Clark, although I know we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. But uh, in in looking at this, uh, Steve, you you look at matchups that can be very, very unlikely over a period of time in the history of sports. And I'm not sure that there's a matchup that's more unlikely than this. Uh, one of only two Michigan quarterbacks over a period of time, and I don't remember who the other one was. It's whoever was starting in 94. One of two Michigan quarterbacks to lose to a John Cooper-coached Ohio State team. Explain that one to me, counselor.
2: (laughs) I don't think I can explain that one to you to tell you the truth, but I will say it seems that Brady, even from a young age, was such a fighter, so hated to lose, had such an inner drive, which again when you see him you know running that sprint at the Combine which they show every year it seems mm-hmm. and and just his general body type you're like no that can't possibly be but this is a guy who had a chip on his shoulder i think his whole career going going back to Michigan even because he maybe was the starter and then they were playing two guys in one game and then eventually he was the starter again and I think he beat Alabama by one, come from behind. I mean, he did have those skills back then. He just didn't seem to have big skills. And I thought his intangibles uh, at the beginning were more than his talent. And then obviously at some point he just became, like I said, a video game player. It's hard to believe he was able to do what he did. You know that famous stat, he threw more touchdown passes in his 40s than he did in his 20s. And when you compare those numbers, you're like shaking your head because here was a guy who was mentally so far ahead of everybody the last, you know, fill in the blank, 8, 10, 15 years of his career uh, and and was virtually always Mr. Clutch. So I think it does go back to Michigan. I don't know if it goes back before, but you know his father and even his sisters would talk about how much he hated to lose. And it was the old, not just football, it was lose in anything. And you see that about a lot of superstar players
0: in all sports. Very, very competitive guy. And, uh, Johnny, again, I know that you have immersed yourself in all things Tom Brady over the years. So I want to get your perspective on this, something that uh, Steve mentioned just now in terms of the competition at Michigan and having to do a timeshare on the job, I think particularly so in the 99 season with Drew Henson and uh, who at the time, I think, was widely considered to be uh, the better NFL uh, quarterback prospect of the two, which is kind of amusing, although uh, he felt the tug of baseball, and that had something to do with it. But something like that, when you're talking about the competitiveness of him that, uh, yes, as Steve mentioned, he he already had that, he demonstrated that before that, but I just wonder, those, those years at Michigan and not being able to pull away and assert himself as the number one quarterback, uh, the, the lasting effect that that had to do probably with shaping his competitiveness.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, they had this sort of weird situation where he would play one quarter and then Henson would play the other, or he would play one half and Henson would play the other half. I think Brady always just had this constant belief in himself and then obviously that continued uh, when he was a sixth-round overall pick in New England. And actually Belichick sort of avoided afforded him the opportunity, he kept him on the team as a fourth quarterback his rookie year, um, and really gave him a chance. But yeah, absolutely, I think that competitive drive really emerged at Michigan.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, because uh, to, to go through something like that and have to share such a high-profile job uh, with another uh, decorated quarterback and Drew Henson, yeah, that was something where uh, I, I could see that where that would lead to a chip on the shoulder and a constant need to prove himself. And then uh, it's, it's very, very interesting because uh, the beginning of his career ends up being defined uh, by being in a role with another quarterback. And, uh, Steve, that ends up being Drew Bledsoe, who had uh, a couple of years previously uh, taken New England to the Super Bowl in a losing effort against uh, Green Bay and uh, it ends up being uh, one of the most fateful hits uh, in NFL history that uh, takes uh, Bledsoe out of a game, I think, what is it, two games into the uh, 2001 season. uh, Brady comes out there and uh, starts to perform well. A couple weeks into the uh, the season uh, really kind of gets it going, hangs on to the job. You get into the AFC Championship game. He gets hurt again. Bledsoe comes in closes out the win against Pittsburgh, but it's Brady in the Super Bowl, a massive upset in the Super Bowl over the Rams, and uh, basically uh, kind of never looks back from there.
2: Well, the joke in New York has always been that the MVP of the Patriots for those 20 years when Brady played was Mo Lewis. Yes. <laughs> cause he's the one who, who
0: not only knocked Drew Bledsoe out of the game, almost killed him. He had a very serious injury. And, um, you know, I just saw that on
2: replay a few days ago, and it's incredible because... Today, virtually any quarterback would have run out of bounds, you know, two yards before he got hit. But Bledsoe kind of went to absorb a hit and paid for it. Obviously, the best thing that ever happened to the Patriots, Drew Bledsoe wasn't happy. And you're right, Bledsoe did come in that Pittsburgh game through a big touchdown in the corner of the end zone. Um, but it seems, you know, there's that book out um, now by Seth Wickersham, and it seems at the time that uh, Belichick and the Patriots brass had had worries about Drew Bledsoe that he could really come up big in a big game, and they thought that he couldn't. And so I don't think the decision to go with Brady in the Super Bowl was as close a decision as a lot of people thought because they thought that he could do it, uh, and they weren't sure. They didn't think that Bledsoe could do it, and, of course, they made the right decision, and the rest is history. But, yeah, that was – I wouldn't call that a game management quite thing for Brady – But of course, you know, the Patriots beat up the Rams, uh, the greatest show on turf or whatever it was called. And, you know, they were the ones who started this physical play by their corners and their secondary, and uh, it really did pay off. But to me, it's always part of the genius of Belichick that you could hold that team to, you know, to so few points and then decades later hold the Rams to three points in that more recent Super Bowl uh, to me, that kind of all revolves around Bill Belichick and his defense, although he always had that guy because all those, all those Super Bowls seemed to be three-point Super Bowls, especially at the beginning, and it was always Tom Brady who could lead them down the field
0: late in the game. That was absolutely how they always uh, went uh, early on in the run there, uh, Steve. And I'll tell you what, uh, Johnny, again, this is one of these things where, as I cop to honesty, uh, you know, hindsight isn't kind to me on this one. Uh, But uh, I thought Kraft was nuts going after Belichick, because after seeing the training wheels era of Bill Belichick head coaching in Cleveland, uh, the man was uh, far below average, uh, and that's being kind. Uh, I could be a lot unkinder than that, and have been uh, many times. But uh, he got to New England, he had an idea of what he wanted to do, and it's one of the interesting and amusing things, I think, in looking at the career of Tom Brady, Johnny, is that... When you look at Drew Bledsoe, the number one pick, uh, I believe it was in uh, 93, one of the things that uh, Belichick might have been looking at there was trying to find the next guy. Because before Tom Brady and, and some others really helped to a- to warp the aging curve, you could have looked at... Uh, Drew Bledsoe at that point, you know, right around the thirties and started thinking, Well, we gotta prepare for tomorrow. So I wonder to what degree that kind of factored in with getting Brady his opportunity there when it was maybe a coin flip on which way they were gonna go.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point though. The only the only thing is I believe before two thousand when Belichick came in they had just signed Bledsoe to a ridiculous extension. That's like, true. It would have been the first $100 million extension Good point. in NFL history. Mm-hmm. So they were clearly committed to him. Yes. I think what happened is you know they liked Brady enough in 2000 to keep him as the fourth quarterback the entire year because they didn't want to risk losing him. That's how much they liked him. They had four quarterbacks on the death chart in 2000. And then a lot of reports will tell you that in 2001, he actually played as well, if not outplayed Bledsoe in training camp, however... Bledsoe, of course, had the huge contract. You couldn't make the change right there. So I think that was really the turning point, obviously, when he got injured and Brady ran away with it. I just want to say something quick about the early part of Brady's career. Mm-hmm. And I think Belichick deserves, like, I think Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. I think the only reason you explain the Patriots' level of dominance for two decades is they had both the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time. However, if you don't like Bledsoe, you can just look at the nine years he's coached in the NFL without Tom Brady. And he does have one playoff win. Now, once again, I think I think, I, mean, I think mean, uh, Coach Belichick is, is the best coach in the history of the game. Um, but Tom Brady was always his quarterback whenever they made deep playoff runs. And just while I think that the defense clearly dominated in the first part of the dynasty, those three out of four years in the early 2000s when they won Super Bowls against the Rams, Panthers, and Eagles, um, there's often this narrative that's, that's created about Brady's early years where he was just a game manager. And I, I really just want to push back against that a little bit, because I think it's almost taken as a given now, whenever you hear people talk about Brady's career, and I'll just share really quick, you know, Brady, his first five years as a starting quarterback in the NFL, 2001 through 2005, he either won the Super Bowl, which he did in three of the five years, led the league in passing touchdowns, which nobody knows about, but he did so in 2002 or led the league in passing yards, which he did so in 2005. This is, of course, when Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, and others were at the height of their game. Uh, So I think Brady was a little bit more than a game manager. I think the Patriots invested a lot more in defense. This is obviously already the salary cap era. And Brady, while throwing to decent receivers, we're talking about guys like Troy Brown, Eon Branch, David Gibbons, Rache Caldwell, Jermaine Wiggins. Not exactly household names in 2021. Right. So I think Brady actually did, you know, more with less than any other quarterback in NFL history. And while I won't say that he was already the greatest quarterback of all time or anything like that after that first initial part of the dynasty, I think he was a lot more than a game manager.
0: Well, excellent point, uh, a couple of them actually, uh, Johnny, and the next question I pose, I want to start as a follow-up question for you, and on the point about uh, Bledsoe's uh, contract, point very well taken, so yes, if Belichick was starting to think of a replacement strategy uh, for Bledsoe, then clearly it wasn't as immediate as it turned out to be, that's an excellent point, but to the whole thing, I wanted to get into the narrative of game manager uh, with you guys, because... This was something I noticed, sort of, in the late 2000s, is that there was a pet narrative in the league that got blown up because the narrative was when you looked at him and Peyton Manning that they were uh, Montana and Marino, that Brady was just the guy who won, and that Peyton Manning was just the guy who put up video game numbers and never the twain shall meet. But then again. Uh, Peyton Manning ends up winning a Super Bowl, proves that he's a winner, and then subsequently wins another one. Although, as I've always joked, he won the second uh, Super Bowl, basically masquerading as Trent Dilfer with the uh, Baltimore Ravens in 2000. But uh, Peyton Manning proved he was a winner, and Tom Brady proved that he could do the video game numbers. Uh, in, in the second half of his career once uh, they really started opening up the offense there. So it's it's very, very interesting. We used to view both of them in a much more simplistic way, and then I think we came to view both of them as, as being probably more alike than different, I think it's fair to say.
1: No, I, I think that's, that's an excellent point. The only thing I would say, I still think Brady in that early to mid-2000s, I'm thinking now at the... Uh, Super Bowl 38 against the Carolina Panthers, which maybe it's because Brady was in so many of these games and they all seem to get more exciting and exciting at least through
0: the Falcons' Super Bowl. But, you know, that's one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time if anybody goes back and watches that game. He right. ended up
1: winning 32-29. He was 32-48, over 350 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. I mean, I think when when he was called upon, he could put up those numbers. I think you're right. I think really the difference between Brady and Manning earlier in that, you know, part of their careers, uh, Manning was the much better regular season quarterback. He also was throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison, mm-hmm. Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, playing in the dome. And Indianapolis, which I think they suffered for in the postseason, put all their money onto one side of the football. And really, except for that 06 run where their defense played very well, they really weren't a good defensive team. New England was just the opposite. So I always thought Brady was, Obviously, he didn't put up the numbers Manning did until he got significant help. Randy Moss and Wes Walker, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, But I don't think he – I think he could have if he had those sort of weapons. He just happened to get them a little bit later.
0: Well, you know what, and that's a good point. Before I I, I follow up here with Steve on that, I I, I want to mention on what you said there about 06, because I've always felt like one of the most underappreciated players in NFL history – There's a term that I like to use, uh, not necessarily an original term, but force multiplier, which I think is a military-type term, but somebody who has just a kind of cascading effect on the players around him, and to the embodiment of that, to me, was Bob Sanders, but it was hard for him to stay healthy. He wasn't the biggest guy. Bob Sanders comes in, he's healthy in the 06 postseason, and on the defensive side of the ball, the, the Colts were a different team. And that provided uh, Peyton the impetus that he needed the support on that side of the ball. So I'm glad you gave me a chance to talk on Bob Sanders for a second here, because uh, he definitely deserves it. Uh, Steve, I, I want to get your thoughts on this about how uh, you know Brady, along with Peyton Manning, uh, how-, how both of them ended up kind of breaking up the simplistic narratives that followed them around on-, on the first half of their career, that one was just the reincarnation of Marino and the other was the reincarnation of Montana.
2: Well, I do think, uh, you know, you can make a case that Peyton Manning is the greatest regular season quarterback ever. I don't know if that's damning him with faint praise. Um, but the reality is when push came to shove, to me, he was kind of like Clayton Kershaw. He was not real good in the playoffs. He did win that one Super Bowl. He had other chances you would thought. and I, I would now throw people who think um, that Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback ever to play the game. I would put comma, maybe in the regular season. But now this guy has become a habitual loser. He's lost to the 49ers four times in the playoffs. He lost to Tampa Bay in Green Bay. He lost to the Giants in Green Bay. So when you look at his record, and he's got one Super Bowl as well, and he's fantastic. But these guys are more regular season stat guys who just kind of disappeared often in the playoffs. With Rogers being the more recent guy, but you're right. What you said about um, Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl, he was kind of like a, a, you know, along for the ride. And I saw a thing with Tony Dungy that was taped a few years ago, where you know he still maintains in his mind that Peyton Manning was better than Tom Brady, and he would look and with a smile say, "Well, you know, Peyton Manning is the only guy to win the Super Bowl with two different teams." Now, obviously, that's no longer true, but not only is it not long, no longer true, it was Brady at the age of 43 to win the MVP in the Super Bowl for Tampa Bay to become the second guy. And so um, I don't compare the two. Uh, Peyton Manning, incredibly talented, was able to have a throwback to the game where he could call so many plays at the line of scrimmage, if you will. Uh, but I have Brady head and shoulders above both, both Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers. If we're looking at the bottom line, and you know, the bottom line is winning, and this guy won. The defense is, he had the greatest coach of all time with him, and I think we'll get to the last two years with the Bucks later, but I think that was a big problem for Brady in terms of adapting to the lack of consistency, even last year for the Bucks. but we can talk about that a little later, but I don't put them near him on the overall scheme of things. There was a time you could talk about them being in the neighborhood. But I think so many losses for Manning in the postseason, so many losses for Aaron Rodgers in the postseason, are they physically more talented than Brady as a quarterback? You can argue yes. But what Johnny said before, Brady did more with less, uh, is
0: without question true. I think that's a very interesting point, and I think a very good point, undeniable when you look at the uh, wide receivers involved. And this is a thing, uh, in, in terms of as we're doing this here, and we're very fond on this show of making cross-sport analogies, and I have a long track record of doing this, so it's not entirely self-serving for me to bring up the recent book, The Top 75 Players in Pro Basketball History, from myself, <laughs> Ben Shu, and Russ Cohen. Go buy the book, everybody, Amazon.com. But I was making a point in there about when you're comparing LeBron to Michael Jordan, and it's one of these things where, and I felt like Jordan was lucky in terms of when he played because, uh, you know, it was just before the internet became sort of omnipresent and everything. And uh, Listen, Michael Jordan uh, flamed out in the first round a lot of times. LeBron, until this past season, never did at all in his career. Never lost in the first round. And it's a thing where, and, and believe me, as somebody who lives in Cleveland, okay, uh, I, can list, I can spend all day listing you LeBron's great moments, but the moments where LeBron's teams came up short. I can list you those from the 2000s. I could be here all day. And it's not necessarily a fair comparison in terms of what we remember and we don't remember. And, and Johnny, what I find to be fascinating about Brady is he plays, his, his career basically uh, overlaps entirely uh, for the most part with LeBron. Started a little bit before and is going to end a little bit before, but basically uh, the two of them side by side. And yet with Brady... If people want to sit here and pick out any of the worst moments, there's obviously the DeflateGate scandal. There's, you know, off-field, essentially. Uh, but it, there's games that his teams lost, but uh, no, nobody really, I think, faults him that much for the Super Bowl losses. Uh, the, the sort of inexplicable losses. Looking back to the Giants, who basically two separate times uh, got hot for a month and then basically ran the table. Nobody certainly faults him for the loss to the Eagles in the Super Bowl because they put up a boatload of points. So it's interesting, and it's, I have to say, commendable, Johnny, I think, for for Brady that uh, his failures, unlike LeBron, whose career he overlaps, you have to kind of sit here and think about them a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's hard to remember when Tom Brady lost you a game. Right. Um, And when he didn't rise to the moment and at least make a game competitive. So you look at... Uh, two of those three Super Bowls he lost in 42. They only scored uh, 14 points, but he did lead the team on a what would have been game-winning touchdown drive had Eli Manning to David Tyree and Plexigl Burr not had it. Um, And then I can't think of a better performance by a quarterback in a losing effort than throwing for over 500 yards, three touchdowns, um, which he did against the Eagles in the 2017 uh, season. Even some of these championship game losses right against the Colts we mentioned it um, in 2006 they beat the Patriots 38-34 he scored 34 on the road to called Willis, number one um, against the Broncos in 2015 uh, which I don't remember except for maybe Mahomes and Has that clutch gene, that championship pedigree that Jordan was so famous for? Um, you know, Brady actually ended up having one more championship than he did. Obviously, didn't go undefeated in championships, but it's a one-game, you know, it's a one-game series, if you will. And then LeBron, the longevity and being able to go to a different team and really clearly be the reason. Uh, that teams are very good, so I think some people uh, might take offense at that comparison. But I think it's really interesting to think about Brady
0: as a uh, sort of intersection of those two, the two greatest NBA players of all time. Yeah, I, I find that to be one. I, I would buy that, uh, Steve. I'd be interested to know your thoughts on that. And then also, again, uh, this fascinating part of the mythology of Tom Brady, of where you, you have to almost sit and think about the times that he came up short. Well,
2: I think to look at, at Michael Jordan and everybody knows six championships, six finals, MVPs, but also if you were around back then, you know, the East was horrifically bad and it was almost like they walked through the East every year while the West beat each other up. (laughs) And and by the time the finals came around, it's always seemed to me that, and again, it's the old Michael Jordan won nothing without Scottie Pippen, you know, that whole argument. But, um. I always thought by the time they got to the finals that the Bulls were relatively fresh and whoever they were playing had been through not one but two very tough series just to get to the finals. And, and as for LeBron, you're right. When he goes and when he leaves, you know, look at Cleveland when he left. Yep. you know, and, and look at Miami when he left. Mm-hmm. And if it, when he leaves the Lakers, what are they going to be when he leaves? Um, but I think it is a very good point because it is kind of the combination because Brady did not put you in a position to lose games and had some of, including, in my view, the greatest comeback in the history of football because it was in a Super Bowl, you know, down 28-3 against Atlanta. Johnny and I were at that game. I'm sure we'll talk about that game a little later when we get to that part of his era. But yeah, I think it is a fair comparison to kind of say he's a bit of both. I don't know that you know, basketball fans will agree with that. Uh, but I think it is a good point because he does have the greatness. You know, he's got five Super Bowl MVPs, uh, and, you know, nobody else has anywhere near that, of course. So I think uh, I think it is a valid comparison. Um, but more and more these last few years, and I thought the final one, which eventually we'll get to, beating Mahomes last year, you know, last year was, oh, Brady's got six, so Mahomes wins this one, and he stays with the Chiefs, he might win seven or eight or nine, but after it went from uh, Brady having six to Brady having seven, Mahomes still only having one, and then what happened this past week, where they lost the 21-3 to lead, and that doesn't sit well for the long-term big picture, uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to get five, six, or seven Super Bowls, that's it's kind of been at least put on pause between last year when he lost thirty-one to nine to Brady in the box, and this year when his team gave up a
0: twenty-one to three lead. Well, and that's a very good point, and I tell you, this is a thing where it almost sets up going later into this decade and into the next one, almost like Mahomes to be the LeBron to Brady's Jordan in terms of chasing a ghost. Because again, like I said, we don't remember Brady's failures; we're going to remember Mahomes's. Mahomes is a little bit more LeBron-esque, where we we remember some flameouts as well as uh, when things went obviously great. Because last year in the Super Bowl, albeit again with that offensive line, he was a sitting duck. But still, uh, some of that's hindsight is twenty twenty, and uh, some of it was that. But again, there were a lot of defensive coordinators that had great efforts against Brady, and it wasn't enough. And then Mahomes pissing it away on Sunday, yeah, that's that's inexcusable uh, to a to a team with the defense of Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, no, that should never happen. I don't care what kind of smart adjustments they made at halftime. So, um, Mahomes is going to be in that boat of uh, whatever happens the rest of his career, he's not going to be perceived as being perfect the way that Brady was, which, again, Brady wasn't perfect, but this is the narrative. This is the myth. This is what follows guys around. What's interesting in terms of that, uh, Johnny, I'll start with you on this one here. Uh, as somebody who really like like I said, and as you've demonstrated, uh, you know thus far my point exactly about how how closely you followed his career. It's interesting from a historical perspective uh, when you look at it. It's a three act play essentially: the donut hole, the years in the wilderness there, right about you know a decade outside the uh, the winner's circle here. Uh, from that triumphant night in Jacksonville, three Super Bowls in the first four seasons uh, to uh, a decade later. Uh, you know, getting that one with, uh, uh, you know, over uh, Seattle in one of the most memorable Super Bowl games ever in between the 18-0 and team that came up short against the Giants, the first of the two losses to the Giants. I always joked about that, that uh, the greatest quarterback in the history of football after the Iowa caucuses was uh, Eli Manning, because he did it in 08 uh, and 2012, which is an obscure, it's an obscure reference to be sure. But uh, as <laughs> he was 2-0, what can I say? But uh, in in looking at that, uh, Johnny, the the years in between, how do you think that shaped him for kind of the back end of his career? He was becoming more of the statistical marvel on the middle-to-back end of that period of time as the offense was opening up a little bit more. But it was a host of losses, uh, I think more often than not, in the AFC Championship game, but sometimes in the divisional round leading up to when they finally – and, of course, the two Super Bowls against the Giants – leading up to that breakthrough against Seattle that ended up foreshadowing more Super Bowls on the back end of his career. Yeah, it's an excellent point thinking about
1: how those, you know, it's amazing, a guy who won seven Super Bowls uh, didn't win a single one for nine full NFL seasons. And the way I think about it is really missed opportunities, but also almost a development of mental toughness. And, And what I mean by that is, at least on the first point, um, you know, they come off this 2007 season, 18-1. and one. Uh, They're going into 2008 with the easiest schedule in football. They're bringing pretty much everyone back because they're trying to run this thing back, which I think a lot of people forget about And in week one, he blows out his ACL. Yes. So talking about a missed opportunity, I'm not saying they definitely would have won the Super Bowl. I am saying I think they would have won at least 14, maybe 15, or dare I even say 16 games that year. They, they had the easiest schedule in football coming off an undefeated season and um, who knows what would have happened in the playoffs. He definitely would have added to a statistical number, just no doubt about that. And I'd also say 2009, I think it takes a lot of guys, even the great Tom Brady, you know, you come back from an ACL a year later, but you're just not quite right yet. And if you look at his numbers from 2009, they were considerably down from years around it. Um, and I think that's a part of the reason there. And then you get into this 2010-13 to window, where to me it's it's really like they just have a tough a, a difficult time winning tough games and, and I think Brady developed and maybe the Patriots as a whole a lot of mental toughness during this time period you know they lose a divisional round matchup against the Jets the team they beat forty five to seven just a few weeks earlier in two thousand ten in eleven they lose a, a Super Bowl against the Giants after Brady orchestrated at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half back to back eighty five plus yard touchdown drives and they just kind of fall flat on their face. Um, and then 12 and 13, they also lose AFC Championship games to the Ravens and the Broncos. And Denver, playing in Denver was always, people talk about Miami being reached out the horse, but really, when it came time for playoff football, he was only three in Denver. It was just an incredibly difficult place to play for them for whatever reason. Um, so the way I look at those middle years is obviously he achieved that level of statistical dominance. You could almost think of it as like the Dan Marino years. Um, where he doesn't win a Super Bowl, he's probably still a Hall of Fame career in and of itself. Um, but I think uh, he developed the mental toughness that came out in that 2014 playoffs, where everyone remembers the Seahawks game. They come back from over ten from ten points down in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the Malcolm Butler interception seals that. Um, but I would actually go back to the divisional round of that year against the Ravens. They were down 14 to nothing, and then 28 to 14 in the second half. The Ravens were the one team. That could go into New England and consistently compete against the Patriots throughout their two decades of of, of uh, excellence of dynasty. There, the Baltimore Ravens were the only team that could do that consistently. Uh, but they ended up using, you know, some people would call it a um, quite a loophole in the rule book. They they executed this four offensive line uh, strategy, which the NFL quickly cleared up after that year. But it helped them
0: defeat the Ravens thirty-five to thirty-one, and really since that moment. Um, Brady's been nothing short of excellent in, in the big games. Oh, very much so. And again, excellent point about uh, the Ravens because, yes, it was the Ravens and then it was, uh, of course, uh, Peyton Manning with the Colts and then subsequently with Denver. Th- those would be the really big slugfest rivals kind of back and forth. And again, the Patriots having dominated – uh, the Colts before the year that the Colts went to the Super Bowl and made it more of an even proposition between the two quarterbacks. Uh, the only team that was ever really sort of the Washington Generals to their Harlem Globetrotters was uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who uh, never beat them in a game that counted. Uh, and. Uh, I remember being particularly PO'd when, uh, again, I'm I'm not a Patriots honk uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, you have to prioritize, and I don't want to see Pittsburgh ever win anything. So just how PO'd I was when the Jets took out uh, New England, because it was like, man, like there was always somebody running interference every time Pittsburgh ever made it to the Super Bowl. They never went through New England. And uh, that was one of those interesting kind of things. So there was a couple of years there when New England didn't get a chance to eliminate Pittsburgh and probably would have based on the way they did every other time. Uh, but in, in looking at this, uh, Steve, the wilderness years, if you will. I mean, and for a team that made the Super Bowl, uh, what, two different occasions during that, couple of AFC championships, but by the standard of his career, that's what they were. Those were the donut hole years, those nine seasons and, uh, Steve, if somebody would have said to you at the beginning of the 2014-2015 NFL playoffs that Tom Brady, who then had three championships, would retire with seven, I dare say nobody would have believed him. Well, I totally agree with that, and, and including Bill Belichick, by the way. When right. he gets on later in his career, he drafts
2: Jimmy Garoppolo, and, you know, he made the assumption, you know what Belichick does, he wants to get, get rid of you a year early rather than a year late. And, uh, you know, Richard Seymour comes to mind as at least one mistake of that kind. But normally he made those decisions, and I think he just made it as one would think a football historian like him would have to make it at 37, 38. You're looking for a new quarterback, never mind at 40, 41. But eventually they traded Jimmy G, which was the smart move. (laughs) Everybody thought he was doing the 49ers a big favor, which to some degree he was, but that hasn't panned out so well for them. You know, maybe Aaron Rodgers goes there next year. Maybe Tom Brady comes out of retirement and goes there. Just kidding. But, yeah, the ten years, nine years, I wouldn't call it really the wilderness years. I understand they didn't win anything. But that 2017, to me, uh, and Johnny and I went to that final Giants regular season game uh, where the the Patriots won 38-35. to And, you know, you kind of walked out of there saying, well, you know, the Giants played hard and they can kind of play with them. But... You know, at the Super Bowl, they weren't going to beat them, but you know they did. You have you have helmet catches, and then you have Mario Manningham going down the sideline, miracle catch, uh, and it took some minor miracles for them to lose. But I thought that team, and still think that team was the greatest team ever. You know, you can tell me all about the Miami Dolphins and they're clicking their champagne glasses every year, but I don't think there really was much of a comparison. Don't forget the Dolphins, I believe, in the Super Bowl, Rick. I believe they were the underdogs. (laughs) My recollection is they were a small underdog to Washington, No, in their perfect season. So they were good. Don't get me wrong. They were real good. And they were undefeated, and they're the only team to this day. But, um, you know, the game has progressed so much physically and mentally. Um, you know, you couldn't, that team couldn't step on a field today. They'd be lucky to beat really good college teams, just from a size factor. I'm not knocking them at all. But I thought even though it was um, the wilderness years because they did not win a Super Bowl, in the middle of all of that in 2007 with Randy Moss, um, you know, I thought that was the greatest team ever. Uh, and look, you can tell me they were 18-1 and and they were, and you know me, I'm a Giant fan forever. So... Um, Johnny and I actually went to the next one, 46. We went to that Super Bowl. Uh, and I felt bad because Johnny was so invested. <laughs> As he should have, you know, this that's now, what, 10 years
0: ago or whatever it was. We made um, up for it. We made up for it. Oh, 100%. But, um,
2: but, yeah, that was like a heartbreaker at the end of the game. I was hoping the Patriots would beat the Giants, but they didn't. Uh, but I'll still say the 2017 with Randy Moss, who was – and is, you know, one of the greatest receivers ever, and they had, you know, his 50 touchdowns. Um, that was an incredible team. And, then you know, they bounced back from that, and once they got out of the road again, you're right, Rick, I would, would have never thought they would have won four, but I would have thought they could have won one or two. I mean, what he did in his 40s, again, you know, is unheard of. Nobody else has ever done it, and I don't know that anybody else ever will. You know, if you're Patrick Mahomes getting $450 million when you're 24 years old, I'm not sure you're going to be playing when you're 42. We'll see. Um, but I'm not sure anybody's going to go that far, even if they're physically able to. And we've never seen anybody who could do what Brady did in his 40s. We'll see if Rodgers sticks around. I don't know what he's doing or where he's going. But if you tell me they're playing in Lambeau next year and Rodgers is the quarterback, i say they got a good chance to get beat.
0: No, and I, that's just his history. I would agree with that. And I will say, too, just again, my my perspective, on uh, the 07 season, and what I wanted to see was uh, different than my fellow co-panelists here today because my my 1A team has always been the Miami Dolphins. So I revere the perfect team, and I remember going on the Sports Talk Network the day after the Super Bowl and saying the only thing we didn't see yesterday that we needed to see was Don Shula bum-rushing the 50-yard line with a bottle of Cristal <laughs> after the game. I, I, I would have paid good money to see that. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was... Uh, even that, again, that game is not something that, that dogs Tom Brady, uh, which uh, is, is kind of uh, remarkable. Like I said, I mean, his uh, the times that he came up short in his career, nobody ever really kind of tends to put them uh, on him. And uh, it's very, very, very rare in the Internet age, in the social media age, uh, to be tough on when it comes to that.